Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, January 16th, 2023. It's been 3,246 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 327 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned to Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned to private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin will continue. Second, we maintain the ongoing information warfare between the Russian Ministry of Defense or MOD and PMC Wagner is a byproduct of the strife within the Kremlin. Third, we maintain that the current winner of the ongoing infighting between factions loyal to Shoigu versus Prigozhin is Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has shifted negative attention back to the Ministry of Defense. Fourth, we maintain there is an elevated risk of punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure from January 19th to 21st, and that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Fifth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Sixth, we maintain that Russian forces led by PMC Wagner Group have taken the initiative on the Solodar-Bakhmut axis, but remain largely defensive throughout the rest of Ukraine. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations, despite the slow success on the Solidar axis. Eighth, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. let's get some regional updates, and since it's Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. On the Svatova axis, 
The Russian MOD reported that Russian forces shelled Ukrainian positions in Novoselivsky and Kuzimivka, indicating that Ukrainian forces may have advanced east of the P-7 highway. Sergei Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, also reported that Kuzimivka was shelled. Mercenaries with Horgonzo reported that Ukrainian forces in Derelne were shelled, indicating that after a successful attack and taking prisoners, Ukrainian forces were able to hold the captured positions. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or GCCC, reported that Svatovo was heavily shelled by Ukrainian artillery. On the Kremina axis, there was positional fighting near Makievka, with Russian forces retreating to their defensive positions. Positional fighting continued near Ploshanka, with Ukrainian forces successfully defending their positions. Russian sources reported that Russian troops attempted to recapture lost positions in Chervonopopivka, but were unsuccessful, while Ukrainian sources reported positional fighting and a successful defense of the settlement. Mercenaries with Rybar reported fighting in Kremina, a position supported by the British Ministry of Defense Intelligence Agency. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian forces repelled an attack against their positions, quote, in the area of Kremina, while another Ukrainian source reported positional fighting. The LNR-JCCC reported that Russian positions in Kremina were heavily shelled. Ukrainian and Russian sources reported fighting near Dibrova, with Ukrainian forces holding their recently captured defensive positions and protecting the ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, established to the edges of Kremina. A video showed a group of Russian POWs captured near Kremina, part of a BARS-13 Russian reserve unit that participated in the defense of Liman. There are also graphic pictures of at least one BARS-13 unit member that Wargonzo previously interviewed killed in combat. We've elected not to share the photos, but the video is linked in our full situation report on Patreon. On the Lysychansk axis, Ukrainian forces held their positions in Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, fighting positional battles. The LNR-JCCC initially reported that rockets fired by HIMARS hit Novopiskov, which would be impossible, as the town is out of range of the munitions available to Ukrainian forces based on the known line of conflict. The JCCC then claimed the strike was made by a single Alder M rocket with a fragmentation warhead fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. Alder M has a published range of 110 kilometers and could reach the settlement, but problems remain with the claim. A video and photos taken at the scene show the damage was inconsistent with a fragmentation warhead, and the area hit was exclusively civilian. Assessment here. We cannot conclude the type of weapon used or decide on what kind of warhead without physically inspecting the site. The fragments shown in videos and pictures are not consistent with a fragmentation warhead, nor was the damage. The initial claim that HIMARS made the strike, and a change made once someone realized that was impossible, calls to question the entire report's integrity. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut Solidar. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar, push into the Luhansk Oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. 
On the Siversk axis, the GSAFU reported that Russian forces tried to advance on Verknokamyanskia from the Luhansk-Donetsk administrative border without success. Intense fighting for control of Spirna was reported by Operational Command East, or OCE, Colonel Serhi Cherevati, with Ukrainian forces maintaining territorial control, according to the GSAFU. Further south, Ukrainian forces repelled a Russian attack on Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. On the Solidar axis, there is significant fog of war. We were prepared in today's report to declare Solidar under Russian control, but multiple Russian reports have us second-guessing our assessment. In summary, yesterday, Ukrainian forces launched a limited counterattack, made some gains, lost them, and were ultimately pushed from all but a sliver of the city's western edge, but were able to push back. Simply put, there is ongoing intense fighting, which OCE Colonel Cherevatsi supported. The morning report from the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces were able to hold defensive positions in Solidar. A few hours later, video showed Russian forces were west of the railroad station, not Sil, indicating Ukrainian forces had lost control of the last line of defense within the city. However, after the video's release, Rybar reported the, quote, cleansing of Solidar was still ongoing, and Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces were, quote, trying to hold the western outskirts, end quote. Neither of these Russian propagandists benefit from undermining earlier reports of the city's capture. Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar appealed for people not to speculate and reiterated that sharing information about Ukrainian troop movements is a crime. She tersely stated, quote, fighting is ongoing, end quote. Assessment here. Based on all available information, we maintain our position that Ukrainian forces are clinging to the western edge of Solidar. Still, the argument on whether Russian forces fully control the city or not is an exercise in pedantry. The GSAFU and Russian MOD reported fighting continued for control of Sil. Rybar, who falsely claimed the town, which is technically part of Solidar, was captured on January 13th, also reported fighting for control of Sil. Colonel Cherevati reported that Ukrainian artillery units inflicted heavy casualties on PMC Wagner and Russian forces in Bakhmutska. Ukrainian sources reported fighting near Blachodatne and Krasnohora. Wargonzo reported that PMC Wagner forces had reached the, quote, northern edge of Krasnohora, which is technically accurate. We shared a graphic video that some may find disturbing in yesterday's situation report of three squads of Wagner mercenaries being eliminated by direct small arms fire on the northern edge of Krasnohora, where, I guess, Code 200 Russian forces continue to occupy the northern edge, as it were. For clarity's sake, Code 200 means that they are corpses. We made significant edits to the war map based on today's intelligence, advancing Russian forces further west toward Rostolivka, the no-man's land south to Sil, most of Solidar, Blahodatne, and Krasnohora. We also shrunk the area we consider no-man's land east of the line of conflict. On the Bakhmut axis, a reliable Ukrainian source reported that Russian forces had broken through the defensive line at Pirkhorodne. We have coded the village as under Russian control and moved the line of conflict further northeast. The most intense fighting for Bakhmut was reported in the northeast forested region near the summer dachas 
and southeast in the garbage dump area. Russian sources attempted to spin the lack of progress on Bakhmut, stating the intended tactic was to fight attritional warfare to exhaust Ukrainian forces. Some assessment here. In siege warfare, the defender always benefits, with the attacking forces requiring a 3-to-1 to 7-to-1 to troop advantage. Russian forces had to use a 10-to-1 troop advantage to capture Severodonetsk and Lusychansk. There is a lack of progress because PMC Wagner is focusing on Solidar, lacks armor, no longer has sufficient artillery to overwhelm Ukrainian forces, can't rely on close air support, and Ukrainian forces have constructed a deep echelon-based defense throughout the city. We find it hard to believe that this is the official position of PMC Wagner, as they can't rely on forced mobilization to fill their ranks. And attrition goes both ways. There were no reports from any source of fighting in the southern part of the city, or Opitne. South of Bakhmut, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued intense fighting near Klishivka, with no significant change in the situation. Rybar made a false claim that Klishivka was encircled, which was dismissed by PMC Wagner telegram channels, with Grey Zone reporting, quote, Ukrainian holds defense, end quote. This supports our assessment from January 14th that prior claims of Russian success have been exaggerated. The GSAFU claimed that Ukrainian forces continued to hold defense of recaptured positions in the northern part of Mayorsk. Some more assessment. When we wrote on January 14th, quote, we believe that the situation has stabilized in the short term around Solidar, end quote, we did not expect the short term to mean 24 hours. The situation west of Solidar and northeast of Bakhmut has deteriorated significantly. We maintain the situation is extremely difficult and very fluid. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. On the New York axis, the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, attempted to advance on the heavily fortified Ukrainian positions in Novobakhmutivka. Again, it went about as well as previous attempts, which is to say it did not go well at all. On the Avdiivka axis, a Russian source reported DNR separatists attempted to cross the H-20 highway at Kamyanka, suffered losses, and returned to their defensive positions. South of Avdiivka was a similar story. Elements of the 1st Army Corps tried to advance out of Wopitne, north of the Donetsk International Airport, without success. A Ukrainian source reported that DNR separatists crossed the frozen ponds dividing Vodyana and made a small advance. Based on the intelligence and the quality of the source, we made a small adjustment to the map. DNR separatists continue to repeat their battlefield mistakes in Pervomaiske and outside the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, suffering daily losses of personnel and equipment in the open fields that are the approaches to both settlements. On the Marinka axis, the 1st Army Corps concentrated its combat power on Krasnohorivka but could not advance. 
Fighting also continued in the center of Marinka with no change. A drone video released by the Ukrainian armed forces showed that the town, once home to 10,000, has been completely destroyed. On the Vuladar axis, the Russian MOD claimed that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance on Solodke and that Russian artillery units shelled Ukrainian troops in Volodymyrivka. Naturally, they reported a glorious victory, but given the Kremlin's history of fabricating reports, we can't verify if the claims are accurate. Pictures or it didn't happen, right? And further, Ukrainian troops in Volodymyrivka would indicate that Russian forces were pushed further south of Volodar. Video and pictures showed the Kalininsky district of occupied Donetsk was shelled, with no reports of casualties. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent Ukrainian offensives into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. There was mutual shelling on the east and west banks of the Dnipro. Russian forces carried out 76 fire missions on free Ukraine, wounding nine, with 25 strikes in the city of Kherson. There's more information in the war crimes and human rights segment. Civilians and civilian infrastructure were targeted in Kherson, damaging homes and a children's hospital rehabilitation center. A video showing a burning structure indicated that small arms ammunition might have been cooking off. It is worth noting that firefighters were adjacent to the structure and appeared unconcerned, and other materials can create popping noises in a fire. Ukrainian forces shelled occupied Kachovka during the ongoing artillery duels. There were no reports on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant or if the January 14th missile attack on Ukraine's power grid had impacted operations. The city of Zaporizhia was attacked with S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack yesterday, targeting civilian areas. The attack wounded three people, including two children aged 9 and 15. The Russian-occupied city of Polohi was heavily shelled, with widespread damage over a large area. Otherwise, Russia and Ukraine exchanged very sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orihiv. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the Black Sea fleet has 16 ships on patrol, including six surface vessels and one kilo-class submarine capable of launching caliber cruise missiles. Operational Command South, or OCS, Communications Director Natalia Humenyuk reported that during the January 14th missile strike, Russian naval assets were capable of launching 36 missiles and expended, quote, about half. At the time of recording, OCS reported that the vessels on patrol have the capacity to launch 30 more calibers. If fully loaded, the existing flotilla could launch up to 44 missiles, but the Russian Navy can't reload caliber cruise missiles at sea. Based on the statements by Ukrainian officials, 14 calibers were launched at Ukraine during yesterday's strike. 
We maintain our assessment that there is an elevated risk of Russian missile strikes between January 19th and 21st due to the upcoming Rammstein Working Group meeting. In Sevastopol, air defenses became active, with residents reporting on social media the sound of several loud explosions. Russian officials reported to a skeptical population that air defenses had shot down a drone that crashed in the bay. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast, maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. Dmitro Zhevitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Romadas of Khotin, Bilopilia, Seredina Buda, and Krasnopilia were hit by mortars, artillery shells, and IEDs delivered by drones. In the Bilopilia Romada, a school was damaged in the village of Pavlivka. On January 14th, we assessed that the Russian MOD claims of Ukrainian attacks on Tokarivka and Pershotravneve called into question the status of Vilshana. The GSAFU reported that Vilshana was shelled in their January 15th report, which does not verify that Ukrainian forces are contesting the village, but warrants keeping an eye on the area. On the Russian front, the border town of Shibikino in the Bilgorod Federal District was shelled by Ukrainian forces, causing damage but with no reported casualties. The Russian Ministry of Transportation reported the Kerch Bridge will be closed on January 17th, so additional repairs could be made. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian officials updated the number of missiles used for the January 14th attack, increasing the reported total to 41 cruise missiles fired and 26 shot down. Ukrainian officials have not indicated why air defenses underperformed compared to previous and much larger attacks. Moldovan officials reported that missile debris that landed in their country included an unexploded warhead from a Russian missile. Emergency officials widened the restricted area around the crash site, while explosive ordnance disposal experts considered the best options for destroying the munition. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that recent pledges of heavy weapons for Ukraine were significant and that he, quote, expected more to come in the near future, end quote. He added, quote, we are in the decisive phase of the war. Therefore, it is important that we provide Ukraine with the weapons necessary for victory, end quote. So would that mean, like, modern main battle tanks, a bunch more infantry fighting vehicles, munitions with a range greater than 85 kilometers, armored ambulances, transport helicopters, fourth-generation multi-role fighter aircraft, anything like that? On the subject of infantry fighting vehicles, a video released by the Operational Armed Forces of Ukraine showed troops are already being trained in the operation of Bradley fighting vehicles. German officials reported they had provided Ukraine four more armored demining vehicles, four mobile protected demining systems, 10 border patrol vehicles, 120 portable heating systems, and an IOU for Leopard 2 main battle tanks, which, even if Germany committed to sending, won't be ready until 2024. As previously reported, 
German Minister of Defense Christine Lambrecht has officially requested for Chancellor Olaf Scholz to release her, effectively resigning from her position, saying, quote, Today I asked the federal chancellor to dismiss me from the office of Federal Minister of Defense. The media focus on my person for months hardly allows factual reporting and discussion about the soldiers, the Bundeswehr, and security policy decisions in the interests of the citizens of Germany. End quote. Lambrecht was only in the position for 13 months and inherited a Bundeswehr that had been neglected and underfunded for decades. Even before the war in Ukraine started, she was criticized for her lack of expertise and being too slow to procure materials and equipment for the German armed forces. The German media reported she never wanted the role in the first place. It is unclear who will replace her, but it is unlikely to be a war hawk, with likely candidates coming from the conservative parties. Speaking of never wanting the role in the first place, let's talk about Russian mobilization. In a follow-up on the grenade blast at a Russian barracks in the Bilgorod region, it was reported by Russian state media that the platoon commander set off the RGD-5 grenade. Three people were killed, with the number of wounded increasing to 16, and another eight were reported missing. A 450-square-meter building was burned to the ground, with additional ammunition reportedly cooking off in the fire. In a video making the internet rounds, a Russian soldier had RPG ammunition to waste for a cool TikTok video. With his comrade filming, the soldier shifted his aim at the last second, pointing the rear of the RPG directly at the person filming. Hilarity ensued with the camera operator surviving, but likely needing a clean pair of underwear, and looking forward to one day reading, after a review of your medical records, the Russian Ministry of Defense has concluded that your hearing loss is not service-related and therefore not eligible for benefits. What did you learn? That's right. Absolutely nothing. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. At the time of recording, the death toll from the missile strike on a Dnipro apartment complex had risen to 40, including three children, with 75 people injured, among them 14 children. 39 people were recovered alive from the rubble, with searchers trying to find another 35 victims. In the seconds after the strike, video recorded the sound of survivors trapped in the debris screaming for help. Rescuers combed through the rubble, calling out to the survivors through loudspeakers as the screams became fainter. A 23-year-old woman was photographed sitting in the debris that used to be her home. A widow, she lost her husband in September when he was killed in action fighting for Ukraine. She refused to leave the pile of debris as searchers dug for her parents and cat. At the time of recording, there was no confirmation on whether her parents had been located yet and if they were dead or alive. As darkness fell on January 14th, drone video showed a line of ambulances and rescue vehicles donated from around the world as far as the eye could see. A mother's grief and rage were caught on camera after she learned her son had been killed in the attack. She screamed, quote, Why did you kill him? You used to come here to our city. We treated you as normal people, as normal relatives. What have you done to my son? Bastards. 
I curse you until the seventh generation. Let you be cursed your whole life, by all people, by me and by all mother's tears. Let your whole country be cursed. End quote. As efforts to find the missing continued, a graphic video showed rescuers and medical personnel trying to save the trapped. A person asks, quote, Do you feel my hand? No. Now move your fingers. The doctor will make an injection so that it will be easier. End quote. A woman was located in the early morning of January 15th, saved by her kitchen table as debris collapsed around her. It took over 10 hours to extract her from the rubble, with rescuers carrying her to an awaiting ambulance. Information about the victims was starting to be released, with Ukrainian boxing coach Mikhailo Korinovsky killed in the strike. Pictures taken after the attack showed the remains of part of his family's kitchen. In Kherson, Russian forces intentionally shelled the offices of the Ukrainian Red Cross, causing heavy damage to the building. This is the second time the offices were shelled in a month, with one aid worker killed in a December 14th attack. Attacking the Red Cross or Red Crescent is supposed to be internationally recognized as forbidden and has been an established practice for over a century. We rarely blur assessment and reporting, but this being the second attack in a month, it's hard to believe that Russian forces are not intentionally targeting Red Cross facilities and employees. A video released by the Ukrainian military showed a group of Russian soldiers being taken prisoner, with some wearing Ukrainian uniforms. The truth matters, and one prisoner is kicked in the head by a Ukrainian soldier off-camera while he appears to comply with commands. We find it incredibly challenging to call out documented Ukrainian war crimes because of false moral equivalency. The wearing of enemy uniforms is considered cowardly by professional soldiers and is considered a war crime, which then gets into a legal gray area. There is no equivalency between a non-critical kick to the head and 40 dead civilians, or intentionally targeting the Red Cross. Still, the truth matters. Pictures and videos showed white SUVs with the Latin alphabet markings of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or OSCE, being moved into Ukraine by the Russian Ministry of Defense. The OSCE has not operated in Ukraine since early March. Ukrainian officials are concerned that Russian troops plan to use the SUVs as combat vehicles and falsely accuse Ukrainian forces of attacking OSCE representatives. Russian officials closed the one crossing into free Ukraine at Vasilivka in Zaporizhia a month ago and continue to refuse to let civilians cross. No reason has been given beyond efforts to increase filtration. We do have breaking news for you again today. PMC Wagner has shared pictures of their forces at the Seal Railroad Station, indicating that Western Solidar and Seal are under Russian control. The map will be updated later today as we get more intelligence. Also, the United Kingdom has officially announced a massive military aid package for Ukraine, rivaling the $3 billion U.S. dollar United States package announced at the beginning of the year. It includes 14 Challenger 2 tanks with armored recovery and repair vehicles, spare parts, etc., 24 AS-90 155mm self-propelled howitzers, or SPGs, with the first eight ready for deployment and the next 16 in refurbishment. Quote, hundreds of armored and mine-resistant ambush protection vehicles, 
minefield breaching and bridging capability and equipment, quote, dozens of military-grade drones, or UAVs, 100,000 rounds of 155mm ammunition. This doubles all other donated 155mm ammunition committed by the UK since February 24th. It's not a small number. Quote, hundreds of rockets for M142, M270, Mars 2, and French GMLRS systems, also known as HIMARS and an equipment support package of spare parts that can be used to refurbish up to 100 Soviet-era tanks already used in Ukraine. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.